this is Kat. This is Phoebe. We're Feminine Chaos. We sure are. Phoebe, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about the most traumatic thing that can happen to a young man. Ooh. Do you know what that is? Um, dating me. No, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm too old to make that joke. What, what is the most traumatic thing that can happen to a young man? Imagine, if you will, a 25M dating a 24F. Oh, a, a, a literal child. A literal child. Well, I think they're both literal children. From, from, from my age vantage point, these are mere, mere youths. But anyway, they live together. The man has a finance job because he is a man and, you know, that is one of the man jobs. The woman, we don't know what, speaking of jobs, we're talking about different types of jobs in a moment. She, she's, a, sorry, she, she's a right? Barbie. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. That's not the type of job I mean. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, he um, complained to Reddit what they had, he and his live-in girlfriend um, had not been having much time for the intimacy because of his finance job and she decided to take matters into not her own hands but <laughs> <laughs> something else and he into her own mouth and he was conflicted about this because on the one hand she had not asked him if it was okay if she did this and on the other hand da da da, da surprise of all surprises he was glad to be woken up in this manner. And this became one of those stories, right? I think we both newslettered about it. You more like actually about it. I just kind of screenshotted it because it was silly. But like, um, it just was a really, um, it had a lot to it, this story, because it, it seemed to be like very illustrative of the young people today, though few of them who are having any kind of sex at all. I guess this is the kind they are... Uh, yeah, something yeah. something's up. What's what's up with the youth, Cat? As our um, in-house expert on the youth, what are <laughs> they doing? in-house expert on on blowjobs. Um, <laughs> no, I sure. I don't know what those are. Um, this this post smarked smarked sparked an incredible amount of discourse, considering that it seems entirely possible that it never actually happened. This is one that of does the, seem possible. The, the fun kind of side debates. It was like is this even real? I don't know. I kind of I kind of hope it's not um, for the girl's sake because if it is real, then the way that this guy treated her after he woke up with his penis in her mouth is actually really, really mean. Like, I think it's it's way worse than whatever boundary violation um, she might have, have done to him by, you know, I mean, they're, they've been together for three years. They live together. I think that like... I don't know, maybe this reveals how old I am, but I think at that point, like, you can anticipate having, like, a certain amount of casual, like, not access, but contact with your partner's body and and expect it to not be, like, if they don't like it, they can tell you no, but they're not going to be make, like, a huge federal case out of it. But he did. He apparently, like, woke <laughs> up to this and told her to stop and then didn't speak to her at all and just, like, got up and left for work. If that happened to me, I would be so upset. So I hope I hope this didn't happen because it's like, poor her, you know? I mean, it's, it's amazing because I think there's like, I mean, one angle, the angle that interested me about this, although I think the boundaries thing is probably like the bigger topic that it points to, but the just this idea of like that, what if it's the woman who 
wants sex and not the man in a hetero coupling because I feel like this is something that so it's very much explored and this comes up in the comments to one of our recent shows somebody mentioned that I have I still have to read about this and I guess some this came up in the news recently but there's this Victoria Woods song called the ballad of Barry and Frida about um where it's like a middle-aged couple and the woman wants sex and the man doesn't and apparently somebody was accused of sexually harassing somebody else recently for playing this song or something. I need to read about this. I need to read about this. But the point is, you don't often see that. But more to the point, you don't often see that these days, because it's always that like the woman was somehow, you know, made uncomfortable by the man, you know, wanting sex. And here you have the reverse, which is um, interesting. Yes. Yeah, that is an interesting reversal. And a reversal more to the point, because it's not just that she initiated on this occasion, it's that she initiated specifically because she had been complaining that they hadn't been having enough sex. Yes, yes, that is also true. It is very interesting that, like, amongst the people who agreed that this was a truly egregious violation, um, the idea was instantly that, like, we need to be equal opportunity about allowing people to be completely uncomfortable of about sex, even in the context of a committed relationship, no matter what gender or sex they themselves are. I mean, Dan Savage talks about this, about the sort of like implied consent within an existing couple. And not that it means that you are like, he's not, it's not like a pro-marital rape stance. It's a like, you can, like, like the, the reaching for another person's body is different, you know, on the subway, like in your bedroom with your partner. But then, but I guess what I was also thinking about is like, there are men like this who just, you know, don't really, I mean, I think the weirdest part of the story to me is the, but I actually liked it part. And that's what the part where I think, oh, it's made up because I feel like there are men like this in the world, but they would not actually like it. They would be like, horrified and run screaming and they want a girlfriend for the social cachet but they don't actually want like a woman's body near them (laughs) are these men heterosexual well they might be they might be asexual they might just be kind of like you know they're not really anything but they just um i don't know i i I think that it's what i'm saying is it's a wide world and i don't find it hard to imagine that there would be just as there are some women who react to the idea of sex with men as revolting whether or not they want sex with anybody whether or not they're you know calling themselves asexual whatever or maybe he is asexual who knows uh maybe he's demisexual although i guess he's not demisexual right that wouldn't be it because that's where you want sex with the person you're in a relationship with and he evidently isn't so sure uh yeah maybe he's only demisexual when when (laughs) semi-conscious oh my goodness is he is he quarter sexual um (laughs) But yeah, I mean, but can we talk about the boundaries thing? Because I think that's the really, um, that's the fun bit here. Yes, Um, yes. So Kat, what's the deal with boundaries? And we saw them with Jonah Hill as well, right? Yes, I had thoughts about this because I, um, you know, I I was inspired even to blog about it on my doofy little Substack that I've recently launched. Um, Boundaries, I, I, okay, so (laughs) I made the mistake of, of, say of using boundaries or my boundaries as shorthand on Twitter of all places not you know obviously where you should be having a conversation about anything let alone something like this um but as a way of kind of describing this 
like submersion of normal relationship dynamics and discussions underneath this kind of like thick layer of therapy speak mm-hmm. and um the big thing with with this is I mean was this guy uncomfortable I actually don't know I think that like it seems like maybe he he kind of talked himself or intellectualized himself into the idea that he was supposed to be because of the way that boundaries have been made this like focal point of all things sexual and like all things romantic. I don't think this is good necessarily. Like I was thinking about the idea of boundaries and obviously I'm not suggesting that, you know, you should never have them or that you should never talk about them. I think there are definitely scenarios in which you want to have a conversation about your boundaries. If for instance, you are like opening up your marriage after 25 years or if your partner has a fetish or something like that, that you are like willing to tolerate, but only to a point. And so, you know, you want to establish like, yes, I will let you talk about peeing on me. No, you can't actually pee on me. You know, you want to have those conversations. And you want to make sure that your floors are, you want to make sure your floors are probably pretty waterproof, I would imagine, for something like this. We, we are going to talk about home decor later in the in this program. That's why I'm a little, little teaser. Sorry. Right, right. No, but it's important to know, like, is the flooring porous? Is there exactly. a carpet? Is it a, is it a ruggable? That would be a, you know, maybe a compromise. <laughs> they should sponsor us, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is, they would be so excited. Um, but yeah, when the stakes are high in some way, whether it's like in terms of your physical safety or your like the the safety of your relationship, um, you know, where you have like a, a bond and you need to kind of preserve that. You need to make sure that you're not doing anything that threatens that. Then I think obviously, yeah, talk about your boundaries. But I think that in like most cases, maybe even, you know, many, if not most, boundary talk can be more of a hindrance than a help because it is basically it puts you in the mindset of thinking about everything you don't want and everything you're afraid is going to happen which is not really the proper spirit in which to be approaching sex if you want to have any fun no and it's also really like this sort of the hr speak you know like i mean i'm thinking again about the jonah hill thing that we talked about where jonah hill said that his boundary was that his surfer girlfriend shouldn't post pictures of herself in a swimsuit or go surfing with men two things that you would think a surfer kind of just does um but it's his boundary so then it's like must respect boundaries but the other thing that this was making me think of is some tweet that it was like responding to some unrelated parenting tweet where somebody tweeted um about sort of like the youth be it's one of these things in the spirit of the youth will save us oh yes I'm not going to say this woman's name. We don't need to link to her tweet. She's some like, I think she's just some like random person. Yeah, she's some random person with like 500 followers on Twitter. But anyway, she she says, she tweets, the talks my son has with his girlfriend, and then in parentheses, both trans, side note, I don't know why that's relevant. Anyway, to quote, set boundaries and discuss what they want and how they will communicate are more mature than most adults. It's kind of exhausting how earnest they are, but also inspiring. His dad and I need to get our shit together. Okay, so um, <laughs> I sat with this one for a while because of um, because I knew then that we were going to talk about boundaries. And I was thinking like, okay, um, this is a great boundaries example. The fact that the son and girlfriend are trans seems like completely tangential and and also not because on the one hand, it's like, these are two people, they're in a relationship, who cares what their gender 
cis trans whatever it doesn't seem really relevant but the point is it kind of does because it's like they're very modern that's the point mm-hmm. is that they're modern people and that a son and a girlfriend in the in the boring old school sense like couldn't be so enlightened right um it's that they're sort of negotiating everything they're they're very like they they're doing something on a different plane I assume, so then the other question is like this question about how they're more mature than most adults had me wondering how old these people are. Like, are these <laughs> five children? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that was what I was wondering. Like, cause it just seemed so like, if you're having a child, like, are these, are these very young people talking about setting boundaries? And I don't even know what it means exactly. And yes, as we were perhaps discussing offline, what exactly is going to happen with this dad after oh to be a fly on the wall for that that conversation i mean yeah you have a child with a man but you need to get your shit together to talk about your sexual boundary like has that horse left the barn perhaps it's sort of i mean i just i guess it's it does seem to be this thing and i have seen this in actual i have lived experience of this i have seen this happen in real life this whole thing of like that if you use words like boundaries or whatever people sort of like default to assuming that you're in the right. It's it's a power move because it seems like you're, you know, on the right side of things, on the right side of history. It seems like you um like you're a good person and that you've thought things through. And I think to some extent, unfortunately, I think the sort of organized sex positivity movement has created this beast along with therapy. I don't think it's just therapy. I think this idea that there's like on the one hand cads and on the other hand like ethically non-monogamous gentlemen when like clearly there's a touch of overlap between these Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. categories um yeah this idea that just because like that the moment you've discussed something and put words like boundaries attached like attached words like boundaries to it and talked about your feelings and talked about your what you want to do that you've put everything into this sort of space where everything that's happening is ethical and I just don't know that that's how the world works because I think things are just so much messier than that Ooh, okay I love your point here and I also love the thing you said earlier about how it's a power move because yes and like this is this is so paradoxical and kind of sneaky that you can in fact do something very very manipulative by couching your like desires in these kind of therapeutic terms like you can really exert control over somebody by by basically talking about your desires in this particular way in a way that makes it sound like they're um not just enlightened but kind of woke for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. um the other thing too is that it creates this sense that the stakes are incredibly high and I just, I just don't think that this is a really good thing to cultivate, a really good like uh, mindset to cultivate about sex in general. Not that I'm saying that you have to be super casual about it, but I don't think that you should be thinking of it as like a minefield all the time, as like this potentially traumatic experience anytime that you have an encounter with somebody. And that's especially true when you're talking about people who haven't, haven't actually had sex or haven't had very much. That, okay, that was my favorite part of your excellent post about this um, was, yes, the level of inexperience. And I think that is really a key part of a lot of these discussions is like that these are people, especially I would say with the pandemic and the possibility that people who are an age where you would expect they would have had something going on, maybe didn't partly for that reason, you know, if like your school was online or whatever. But yeah, just this idea of like, I mean, this comes up even with like incels, like what does it mean to be a, a 15 year old teenage 
incel, you know, or, <laughs> or, or to be the like 11 year old asexual, like all these things are ridiculous when you're talking about children, you know, but these labels, if you have access to the internet, you have access to these labels and um, people label themselves perhaps um, at ages when they, they don't know what they're talking about because they couldn't because they're too young. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like the TLDR of this for me is that I, I would really like to encourage people to not discuss their boundaries or think about their boundaries so much. It's just, you know, if you're going to be engaging in sex, um, there there's a certain kind of spirit of curiosity and adventure required for this actually to be any fun for you. Like instead of, instead of focusing beforehand on like, I'm so afraid that this and this and this is going to happen and I'm not going to like it. It would be so much better to be like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of exciting. Let's find out. Let's see. Because like the thing is, if you do something with a partner that ends up being not your jam, sorry, Winston, stop yelling <laughs> that is not that is not my jam um but you know if, if you do something and it's like it's not your favorite you don't want to do it again then you don't have to do it again it's like all that happened is that you tried something you didn't like it it doesn't have to be any more serious or significant than that yeah I think that's right and yeah it's just it, it seems like it's I mean it, it all comes back to this thing of like you know fun is unacceptable yeah, I, I could totally digress about this banana discourse, but I'm writing something about that. So placeholder, placeholder, maybe we talk about that another time. But like this idea that anything that's pleasurable in life, even something as mundane as eating a banana is probably problematic. And there's probably some corner of the internet mad at you for doing it. Yep. Well, you know, on the subject of, um, I don't know, bananas and boundaries, you know who <laughs> has um, extremely enforced boundary boundaries so enforced that you can't in fact permeate them ken oh ken the barbie the the barbie partner um yeah because you know he doesn't have any actual genitals but do you want to know something problematic about ken please so ken and barbie were i have learned in um reading up a, a little bit about this um to cover the jewish angle um for my Canadian Jewish news work, basically these were named after Ruth Handler, Barbie founder, uh, her children. So Barbara was her daughter and Kenneth was her son. Oh, so they're brother and sister? Yeah. So that's oh. kind of, that's a little, there's something a little like, um, a little curious about this, that the brother and sister are, because I, I thought Ken and Barbie are supposed to be an item. Not to, not to like put a heteronormative frame on the Barbie dolls, but... You know, I think that they can be anything you want them to be, but it's like it's physically impossible for them to have sex. Um, That's you know, true. They lack the the equipment, and so you know their relationship, whether it's brother sister or um, or romantic, it will never cross any boundaries that uh, would might potentially make it inappropriate. Well, that's also like she can't have. Um, or neither of them, they, they don't have children, right? Because that was the whole point with Barbie dolls is that they're not to be teaching little girls to nurture babies. That was what I read about Barbie dolls, having read about... I, I did not... I have not ever cared about Barbie dolls. I'm sorry, even as a child, like, this was never my thing. Did you care about Barbie dolls? I loved pulling their heads off. <laughs> okay. I feel like this is extremely... Like, those that meme about on-brand childhood stories that I didn't... <laughs> Yes. I didn't like them and you pulled their heads up seems totally right. <laughs> okay. 
So you're hearing from the sort of the sort of very normal women who, as girls, would play sweetly with Barbie dolls. <laughs> yes, that's ex- that's exactly right. Um, I mean, I did what I, what I did like about them at the point at which I got like more interested in. Um, I don't know, like art or aesthetics or whatever you would call it when a, when a child is interested in like, you know, playing dress up. Um, I liked, I liked them for that reason. You know, it was fun to, to put outfits on them, but I wasn't like ever putting them in Barbie clothes. It was more like I would find little scraps of fabric and like fashion things for them. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It was a little, you know, a little creative outlet. And, uh, and it was useful because, you know, they didn't really have heads a lot of the time because once you pull a Barbie's head off, it is damned difficult to get it back on it's like nigh impossible honestly but if you're just using them as mannequins they don't really need to have heads well that's better if anything yeah they were like miniature dressmakers dummies for my you know seven-year-old self so have either of us seen that neither of us have seen this barbie movie yet right no no but that didn't stop me from writing a whole lot about what i think it represents culturally because what does it represent culturally i have a theory i have a theory that barbie who as you mentioned is um kind of eternally on the precipice of certain adult milestones but isn't really achieving them um and also is like a super overachiever in terms of being like a girl boss and having all these different careers i think she's an avatar for the archetypal millennial woman i think you're onto something yeah and and she's because she's girl boss in many different arenas she's not just um She's not just, what is it? I've already forgot. I know that there was the one Barbie who said that math is hard, but then that was not. Yeah, I guess that that was like circa 1992. But that's actually an interesting thing that like uh, she was teen talk Barbie, right? Which implies that she herself is a teenager. Like if you're taking math classes, you must be a teenager. Um, But at the same time, Barbie has also run for president, which means that she's 35 or older um, because that's what the constitution says you have to be so I think it's very interesting that she basically kind of exists outside of age as a like a construct she's as old or young as you need her to be and that depends entirely on how you accessorize her yes I think that's right um I think so my take on this is maybe like I I think it's just going to be a yes and basically, but I guess I was thinking of Barbie and and this was also like after reading Willa Paskin's essay about, uh, well, not essay, it's an interview, the profile of um, Greta Gerwig about Barbie in the New York Times magazine. But I was thinking about how this fits in with the kind of like reclamation of the bimbo thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Say more about that. So basically this idea that the hyper feminine has been maligned. And that, um, and there was an article, um, it was interesting about this, although I haven't read it that closely yet, um, in the Globe and Mail, not by me, don't worry, um, but by somebody writing about, like, coming to terms with her own sort of femininity, and um, I believe by a cis but queer identified woman, I believe, again, I may be getting this all wrong, because I hadn't checked this, but basically, this idea of, like, the feminine being this sort of actually like like it's been maligned and and it needs to be reclaimed and but when does it need to be reclaimed and it seems to be only when it's like self-conscious self-aware a little ironic when the person embracing it is not a cisgender heterosexual woman certainly um but barbie seems to be a little bit like the the barbie movie and the whole barbie thing seems to be very much like of a piece with this this idea that like rather than looking at that artificial you know silhouette and so forth 
seeing it as like, I mean, effectively, like, this is a lot of what people trying to look very feminine will try to go for as a look, right? I mean, I don't think that's so far off, like putting lar- like giant plastic boobs. Or or giant prosthetic ones, um, you know, as that, that shop teacher in Canada did. Yes, Canada, Canada keeps busy on that front. But yeah, I mean, to me, that seems like maybe a part of it is this idea that like in a different moment in feminism, if this would have come out like five years ago, it would have just seemed like, okay, that's just anti-feminist and ridiculous to have a Barbie movie. But now it's like, no, no, the hyper-feminine, all this pink, this is actually a kind of empowerment. And because it's all a little bit knowing, because there's something apparently homoerotic involving the Ken dolls, which I will have to watch this movie to find out about, um, especially if Simu Liu is involved in it. But um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that's maybe... I don't know. Am I onto anything here or is this just like nonsense? No, no. I think, you know, there there is something about the idea of like reclaiming femininity and reclaiming Barbie, who is sort of the original problematic fave, right? Because she's right. like, she's too sexy. She's too plastic. And I don't know. I, I mean, on the one hand, I I am sort of on the side of, of the people who are like, why are you even taking this so seriously? It's just a doll. And I do think that there's something to that in the way that, um, to return to the idea of how Barbie is like, you know, intersects with the trajectory of the millennial woman, how we like problematize everything that we used to love unproblematically or like unselfconsciously. And the only way to continue loving it as an adult, like if you're talking about something that you that you were into as a kid, is to reckon with it, you know? And I think that the Barbie movie represents that for a lot of people. It's like, okay, we're gonna it's like it's like the privilege acknowledgement, but as cinema. And we're going to we're going to go to this movie that was directed by like a millennial, you know, feminist darling who also I mean, who's basically made a career of doing this like Little Women, also something that we kind of hated ourselves for loving. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so she took it and she made it she made it OK again. Um, <laughs> and I think that the same thing is maybe happening or it's trying to happen here that like because Greta Gerwig is the one doing this movie she's putting her stamp on it she's out there saying like I'm doing this and I'm also subverting it that was the most amazing line right that was the the one from the that she says to Willa Paskin in that article and I think that that really is that's the whole thing right there right I mean that was she wants everything she wants the mainstream thing and the subversive thing and it sounds like from the it sounds like she's going to get that. It sounds like that's going to work out for her. And then I'm also thinking about the plastic thing, right? Aren't people supposed to hate plastic these days? And the, But this is all to sell a bunch of stuff in plastic. That's true. Well, I mean, maybe this is going to be like just the, the harbinger of a new all hemp Barbie. <laughs> Can she also be smoked or is it what sort of <laughs> smoked? Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess you do smoke hemp. I was like, like a brisket. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing too. Um, yeah, why not? You know, she's like, you know, her her like gown that she comes wearing is actually a giant rolling paper, and you pull her head off and you stuff a bunch of, um, you know, like I don't know, whatever, a filter into the end, and then you smoke it. I think that's the only thing that would make sense to do. It's biodegradable. Yeah. But I wanted to say one more thing just about the idea of like doing things ironically. I think doing the thing and subverting the thing, like, isn't that basically what 
millennials are doing when we talk about quote unquote adulting as a verb where it's like you're you're a grown-up <laughs> but you're not really like you're performing grown-upness but you're not actually a grown-up Ooh, yeah I think you may be onto something with that yeah I don't know I liked it and uh and I'm gonna see this movie I am I'm I'm, I'm gonna be one of those like now incredibly cliche people who does the Oppenheimer Barbie double feature um, mm-hmm. and I am absolutely going to get dressed up for it because why not? Are you going to see it? I think I might. Um, I think it has to be that like just logistically that I can bring bare minimum a four and a half year old to it. And, um, hopefully not, hopefully there's nothing too like upsetting to children in it. From what I've read, it doesn't really sound like that. It sounds like it might just be a little boring to a child who's more at the kind of cartoons age, but yeah, if it's playing somewhere nearby, I, I could see doing it. Um, yeah, a lot hinges on whether or not we have a kitchen, though, come weekend time and whether we should be home or not during it. And also um, whether I need to keep the children out of the house so that my husband can set up some IKEA furniture, which might be our segue. Yeah, I, I am picking up what you're putting down. Tell me, are you sure that you should be leaving your husband alone in your kitchen, which I assume is going to be decorated in every shade of Barbie core pink. It already is. I mean, that's the part that's done. It's just the electricity is a little, leave something to be desired. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you can just leave, <laughs> just leave, just leave him home so that he can, you know, supervise the installation or whatever. And then he can climb into the oven and incinerate himself because, <laughs> because, <laughs> because sorry. Okay. Are so, you, and you as a child pull the heads off Barbie dolls? I, I, I do not I do not believe it. Um, no. Yeah, so Barbie core, Barbie core is apparently something. Yes. I, the so New I, York Times covered it. it. It did. My mom sent me this this article about um, women who are, I mean, it is, it is women, but some of them are married, which is why I'm making all these jokes about men in these kitchens. But uh, I have to say something about this, which is that the Toronto Life equivalent story about this came out earlier and specified da, 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 that it's a woman with a male partner, but they live apart intentionally. Like they're old, they ha- they could live together, they choose not to intentionally. They're those people who live apart intentionally, whatever. And that's part of it. So she can have her pink house. Interesting. Like he lives down the street or something, but <laughs> she, she has a bright pink house that she paid a million dollars for years ago. So it's like a nice house yeah yeah can you imagine being that committed to your aesthetic that you're willing to like have your husband live elsewhere (laughs) I can't imagine being that committed to my aesthetic at all I mean like I look down at the floor the new floor of our kitchen which is the new vinyl that they put on top of the old vinyl and it's like it's fine you know what I mean like it's whatever like that's the thing and I, I guess though for some reason I find it interesting to read about people who are really committed to their aesthetics. I find this like a very compelling topic. I don't particularly, I, I kind of get it with clothing to some extent. Like there, I, I'll draw a firm line between what I would and wouldn't wear. But the space I'm in, I just feel like I've never really had that much control over it. And also I wouldn't even know what to do with it. Like I found it very stressful with this renovation that we're doing to have to like decide anything. It's just like, oh, I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. I've always felt the opposite that like I'm much more invested in what the space that I'm in looks like than I am in what 
I look like because I mean I'm not seeing myself whereas I am seeing what's around me all the time that makes so much more sense and the thing is I don't even feel particularly invested in what I look like to other people it's more just like the clothing I have on myself like I don't think I even am choosing clothing that's particularly alluring it's more just like that t-shirt yes that t-shirt no for reasons that I'm sure make sense in my own head and yeah yeah no it's like your internal divining rod for fashion it's just you know you like what you like I respect that but so these these pink these pink house people tell us about them I find them fascinating okay so yeah I mean the we're gonna leave a link to this article in the show notes you should check it out just to look at the pictures because they're incredible but people have gone all in on like all pink palettes um and you know god bless capitalism there is in fact like a line of products that you can use you know to to decorate your house with like there's a pink stove and like a hot pink smeg refrigerator which i mean okay i'm not gonna lie like i looked at that and thought i would (laughs) Um, (laughs) but you know it's i mean it's such a i don't know on the one hand, it's such a look. It's it's kind of incredible to see a picture of it, but I can't imagine living in the midst of it because it is visually assaultive. Like to be kind of surrounded by that at all times and not be able to like close your browser and make it go away. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked the bathroom that they showed in this um, article about neon pink stuff. The kitchen freaked me out. It was just too pink. But it made me think a lot about, um, from Keeping Up Appearances, Hyacinth Bouquet, Bucket Pronounced Bouquets, like they signal on this TV show from the this British uh, sitcom from the 90s that if you know, you know, sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. They signal that she has a henpecked husband and so forth, partly by the decor that's just like hyper feminine flowers everywhere. It's not Barbie pink, it's a different thing. But it's like, it has this look, the whole house of like, a man had no say in this. A man doesn't live here. Yeah, it's like Laura Ashley, right? Yes, very much Laura Ashley. And I like it. I would totally do this if I had the get up and go for something like that. But um, yeah, and she also like, they have a whole scene where she's, she forces like the vicar and her husband to take their shoes off before entering the house because she's had her herringbone relacquered. And this is treated as hilarious, but then it's like weird to watch in Canada where you have to take your shoes off when you go into a house in general. But it's treated here in this British show as like the most absurd thing that somebody would take their shoes off. Having your herringbone relacquered, is that like what the the girl we were talking about at the start of this episode tried to do to her boyfriend (laughs) in his sleep? (laughs) Well, it takes the, yeah, so in the episode it takes them all a while to figure out what this is about. And it's, or it takes, I think the vicar a while. And it, the, it's that she's had her floors done. She's um. had her floors polished in some capacity because probably with the pea fetish, you got to make sure that that <laughs> wood is properly sealed up. This is, I assume a, you know, substantive plot line in this show that there's a, there's a pea fetish. I would think so. Um, but yeah, the, the Barbie houses, um, I mean, I also wonder what's going to happen when the moment ends. And I even wondered this a little bit with like millennial pink, right? Because that had its moment where it was like that shade of pink with like the the green leaf kind of motif. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, it was like you know, the kind of, but that was also a very, in many ways, kind of clean minimalist aesthetic. And the thing was that you would have like the millennial pink, which is the least objectionable pink. It's almost white you know or almost peach so you can't really you can't get mad at it for being too girly um and then there would be a potted plant 
to add a pop of color in the form of foliage. And then, you know, you'd have like bamboo stuff. And it was like this very kind of neutral, soothing spa-like palette. That's definitely a moment that is passing at this point. And I think people are like looking around at their um, millennial pink houses and thinking this is not it anymore. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll go Barbie briefly and then on to the next thing. But the Barbie things just seems so, it seems like it'd be very hard to paint over also. I was thinking about that. You would certainly have to prime once you had painted your, um, your walls, that color of pink. You know, it's funny though, like, I mean, I have such mixed feelings about this because if this is your aesthetic and the people who are, who are doing it, like, they are making it work, like insofar as you can make it work. It looks nice. Um, you know, I'm sure that they enjoy it. And um, so, like, when I was a kid, my mom um, at our at our home, she painted the guest house pink, um, not hot hot pink, but like a nice kind of a baby pink it was cute and yet the people on our street who were extremely uptight about anything colorful told her that it looked like the barbie dream house oh really wow yeah and they didn't mean it as a compliment and my mom was like whatever you know but um (laughs) it does come full circle it does it does so i mean i guess you know my my controversial take on this is that there is a place for pink in a, a home decor palette, even an exterior decor palette. But, you know, you got to you got to own it. You got to choose your choices and have the courage of your convictions if you're going to do it. Um, can I talk about the opposite of the Barbie house because I'm like obsessed with this and um Yes, the only thing more ostentatious than a adult-sized Barbie house is the dog cabin. So, I <laughs> blogged about this, um, but I'm going to tell you all about this. Okay, so it's this article in the New York Times called At 600 Square Feet, the cabin was big enough. It's just me and my dog. Building a big new house would have been easier and cheaper, but saving the 19th century structure resulted in something better. This is a New York Times article. And um, credit goes to Stepford T.O. on Twitter for picking up on the fact that this is in the New York Times' Living Small column. Okay, Living Small. This man spent $3.3 million several years ago on the house. And then when you add up the renovations he did, this was a five, more than $5 million U.S. dollars. So this, the house itself is um, in, in Toronto area cottage country. So it's in Ontario, but this is U.S. dollars. He spent more than $5 million for a 600-square-foot cabin. What is the price per square foot? Yeah, you, you should calculate this because now I want to know. Um, I, well, you know, like, like <laughs> I'm, I'm like, Barbie, math is hard. Um, but let me just, I, I'm going to open my calculator. Okay, so while, while you're opening your calculator, I'm going to explain the situation, which is that he found, he wanted a cottage. He wanted a weekend house. So this is his second house, this man, okay? Second house. He's some sort of designer, but he had people come in and do this designing for him. This wasn't like he, it's not like he designed the project. He had like other people do it and they're Mm -hmm. all credited and they're all, one of them was a French designer. Why is it like similar to that tweet where the woman mentions that her son and the son's girlfriend are trans? Ooh la la. Like, why is it relevant that the designer is French? Because that's fancy. Okay. And it's more fancy. Yes. Thank you. $8,333 per square foot. Oh, (laughs) that's a lot. Um, Okay. That's really funny. (laughs) Okay. Um, so this, this gentleman, um, basically he 
found this land, liked the land, liked walking in it. He was going to tear down these dilapidated farmhouse buildings, but then um, in the process realized that under the siding of one of these buildings was a, an original log cabin. Wow. Ooh. A log cabin, a real log cabin. Made of real logs. <laughs> Made of real logs, you know, no particle board for him. Um, <laughs> the original particle board. Um, so he, um, what he did was he had some company dismantle the whole thing, treat the wood so that it's usable and like it make this basically a whole new, but, but a new foundation, make a whole new house, but then put the logs back together. So it's as if he's restored something, right? It's not a new house. It's like really quaint and old. And he's really saved something here. This is historical preservation, this is not uh, this is not women whimsy of a man who be shopping. This is like very rustic. It's a log cabin. It's just like a little little old thing. He doesn't need much. He's a simple sort. He just has his dog. He needs a little shack in the woods. He just for some reason has to spend five million dollars to get it just so. And then the whole article and the slideshow about it, it's all about like all the natural materials that are used and how like, they used wood from a tree from the property to do some part of it, whatever. Like it's all, and it looks nice and it's not to my personal style. I think I would be more happy in the Laura Ashley house on uh, Keeping Up Appearances than <laughs> in this log cabin. The result is very much like the boy version of the Barbie dream house though, because it's like hyper-masculine, a woman has not been in this house. There's not even a toilet, <laughs> just a urinal. <laughs> I mean, it really, it's, it's hyper-masculine, but in this way where it's like, I mean, I do not know the, the sexual orientation of this man who, I mean, I, I can surmise that, that the higher likelihood of one way or another for a designer who has $5 million that he chooses to spend in this way. Who knows though? I really, I, I have no idea. I have no idea, but it's hypermasculine, whether it's hypermasculine gay, hypermasculine straight, hypermasculine bisexual, hypermasculine pansexual, I don't know, but it's hypermasculine. And it's just like, like, if you look at it, it's no, there's no color, you know, it's, um, I need to, I need to open this so that I can talk about it a little bit. So it, the slideshow, it's just like the, the palette is like untreated wood and stone basically like wood lots of wood and a bit of stone is what it looks like and um and it is small it is small and it just i mean it looks cool but i guess the the aspect of this that really struck me was that like it's being treated in the newspaper as like he saved something he did something he preserved something you know like he did something noble act whereas i feel like painting your house bright pink would not be considered this perhaps i don't know no it's true um you know one of these things has a moral vector that the other does or or it's it's seen as like i don't know noble in a way that painting your house pink does not which seems in fact like excess and decadence but that's really funny because what is spending five million dollars Mm-hmm. On your second house. Yeah. On your 600 square foot second home, if not decadence. For yourself and your dog. He says it's just for him and his dog. I mean, it just, I couldn't get over the amount of money and what it all 
means because it's money that he's not, you know, giving to charity, whatever, you know, but you could also say that like, but I'm not even mad. It's like, I'm not mad at him. I'm mad at how this is being discussed. Cause I think people do all kinds of things and spend their money in all kinds of ways. And I don't really, if, if he wants to do this with his house, whatever, but it's more just this idea that like, you have to respect it when it's sort of the male coded version of it. So I'm going to be, I'm, I'm super like, I don't know, my second wave feminist, so what will I be, what will I annoy people for being, I don't even know what this is, but it just, it does seem like when a man, when there's male coded consumption, even if it uses a lot of resources, even if it involves treating wood with whichever chemicals, you know, even if this is not actually like saving something historically significant, even if he's just basically, he wants a country house right for himself it's somehow treated because it's like so because of the color scheme and because of the the sort of trappings of simplicity it's like he's doing something rustic yes okay i have to say two things i don't maybe more than two things because i've been i've been looking at the slideshow for this which is amazing oh we're gonna put this in the show notes too please go look at the pictures okay um so in no particular order number one the man has like the bathtub equivalent of a concept car it is a walnut bathtub i just i just clicked the link to it and it took me to like a design website um where it's not like it's not a catalog it's not like a thing that you can it seems like it's not a thing you can buy unless you um, okay yeah so he sells he himself sells price upon request furniture yeah yeah okay so he is in that world yes though the walnut bathtub i did notice this i did notice this partly because one of my children is actually allergic to walnuts so no bath there for for her i don't think i don't think the tub is made out of the nuts I think no i think it is i think it's the nuts i think it's like a puree i think it's like a pesto so it's a compact pesto no yeah you're right she technically yes she could have a bath i don't think she's being invited i don't think that i don't think that they want small children in this house um no it doesn't look I, I just have to say though this reminded me of something that would have been super cute um there was a book i don't remember what it was anymore it might have been like a beatrix potter thing but where a mouse takes a bath in a walnut like he has a house he has a mouse house and like his bathtub is a, literally a half of a walnut it's probably we have all of these books I have to take a look because i yeah, yeah that that sounds actually extremely cute um yeah so uh, I'm looking at this. Oh, well, also, it's so, I was confused because it says the walnut shell bathtub, but shell is the, the name of the bathtub. It's the, it's the shape of it. It's not the actual but, material. So this, the, the bathtub is like, it's a hardwood floor, but it's a bathtub. But then there's, okay, it sits beside custom Nymphenburg porcelain wall tiles depicting animals like an owl, a hare, and a fox. I'm thinking about how we were going to do various things in tile for our house. And then I learned what tiles cost and like to cost to be installed. And and then it turns out we went for no good reason to the tiles store. Maybe one day, if we have some sort of windfall, we will have a backsplash. It probably is not going to be in tile, though, at this point. Yeah, I, I believe that you'll get your backsplash. But will it be Nymph- Will it be Nymphenburg? I don't, porcelain i don't know who that is that's, that's the that's the one who that's the nymph who made this wall tile that's behind the walnut bath i was gonna say he sounds like a character out of a fairy tale like maybe a cousin of rumpelstiltskin or something like that so i want to hear the other things you have to say about the slideshow okay the other things i have to say okay um the idea that this was like a preservation thing i actually find really laughable because like it's clear what this house probably looked like before um and it hasn't really been, like, the character of it has not been preserved. I mean, I can see that the walls are these, like, 
half-hewn um, logs, which is interesting because the times that I've been in a log cabin, it was literally like the logs are like you see the roughness of the bark, you know, on the inside. It was it's literally like Lincoln logs, like they st- stacked on top of each other. I guess these logs must have been done, you know, differently. But well, they were specially treated by the log people. Yes, they had been rotted and re re. I don't know what. Probably honestly, you know what my theory is. They were taken to the log people. The log people were like, "Oh yes, we are going to." put our special treatment on them. They threw it out, <laughs> did a bonfire <laughs> and put new logs and nobody was any the wiser. I mean, yeah, who would who would know? But the other thing is, I mean, the aesthetic of it is not like you could have you could have restored this house to its actual rustic glory. This looks like oh, what's the you know that that thing where they say it's like a stupid person's idea of a smart person? Mm-hmm. This is like a, an coddled urbanites idea of what rustic actually looks like oh my gosh okay so the doc martin i watched last night there are londoners who move to cornwall and it's um yeah anyway it's a good episode but yes yes it does have a quality like that i'm I'm looking at this and i'm almost wondering if some of what we're noticing is that he's made the ceiling heights higher by putting some sort of material i have no idea what it is between concrete i have a wall between the logs right because they're they're not touching each other but i assume that is to make it taller yeah, or possibly to to seal it, to insulate it. Who mm. knows? Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything about this, like, it's it's very modern. And the only thing really rustic about it is the fact that you have, like, these visible wood elements. And then, okay, but this is the thing that, like, that actually killed me, is this picture of him. I'm right? looking at it now. Okay, okay. I was hoping that would be, I was hoping that would be, okay, okay, let's, let's. He's looking out the window, like looking up he he you know those um paintings of saints as they're like yes in, in their ecstasy <laughs> <laughs> okay yes um it's like that you know it looks like he's he, he's gazing into eternity and just feeling not even self-satisfied they didn't photograph him that way it's more like look at this look at this martyr but his 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 you see him from behind also because there's a mirror. Yeah, well, there's nothing special about that view. So, <laughs> well, it's it tells you something that what I first noticed with the, was that there's under staircase lighting, the original, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but the fact that I noticed that before I noticed, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, he does he doesn't seem unhappy. But I love the so what I love about this. Because I guess you're the visual person. I am not the visual person. I I mean, I am and I'm not. But what I noticed first was the text here. Although you're right that the visual is actually probably better than the text. But anyway, the cabin was only about 600 square feet. Quote, but I felt like it would be big enough. He said, it's just me and my dog. It's just the way it's the simplicity. I'm like obsessed with this. I'm sorry. Like that he, he doesn't need much. He's a simple sort I mean, you know, he's basically Henry David Thoreau. But that's how it's presented. And I just, I guess then I imagine that like if I were to go to like Zara and buy like two things instead of one or instead of zero, I'm like disgusting, right? But then if he does this, it's like he's he's saving the Canadian wilderness. And it's like, he's not though. He's just, he, he'd be shopping, no? Is this not shopping? Yeah, this- no, he'd be shopping. You are correct. You have his number. 
<laughs> and what would I do with it if I had it? Nothing. Um, and I think he would be just fine with that. But no, I mean, I'm not, but the thing is, like, I'm not actually mad at him. I'm mad at how this is presented. Like, he can do whatever he wants. That's not really like I'm not. I'm not an anti-banana communist. He can do what he wants with his five million dollars. I'm just like. I, I don't like that this is presented. And then then what happens is you get that people who do not use all natural materials in their homes are like polluters, you know? But it's like, who can afford to do this like this? Oh, anyway, whatever. Yes, I mean, it is fascinating to contrast the way that this man is presented by the New York Times um, as opposed to the way that the Barbie core women are presented by the New York Times, which is not to say that they're treated like they're you know, frivolous, but they are being treated kind of like weird novelties, you know, like there's nothing, there's nothing morally good about what they're doing. Um, where the man who spent way more on his, <laughs> on his, you know, the diametric opposite of Barbie Dreamhouse, he is positioned as having done something incredibly noble. And he, and they've also probably preserved more than he has because they've probably done. It doesn't look like they've changed as much. Okay, I guess. Well, no. So it is renovated. It is renovated. Sorry, it is renovated. Never mind. But I have to actually. I have to read this. Um, you know, this is about this is about the the one Barbie space that I actually really really loved, which was the outdoor like kind of Palm Springs style pool area. Okay. Okay. Um, the piece de resistance is the backyard Barbie oasis. There, Ms. Hansen, 31, installed a hot pink above-ground pool, which she purchased on Amazon for about $150. I mean, <laughs> contrast this with the, yes. with the walnut bathtub True. That, that is so bespoke, you don't even know how much it costs. You would probably die if you did. Exactly. And which one would be more fun to be in? Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. No, uh, definitely. Definitely the hot pink pool. Yeah. There's no question. I don't know. It's also like it's this idea that they care what the stuff looks like. And he has this pretense that he doesn't. Right. It's this idea that they only care about what it looks like. And he he cares about the materials. Yeah. That's why you get yourself the, you know, bajillion dollar walnut bathtub and the (laughs) freaking like special order tile so that you can have little frescoes of a fox watching you while you bathe that's because you don't care what your surroundings look like I believe it I do it makes sense I mean I don't know I I think this has turned me into some kind if I if I become a is this rad femme am I a rad femme I mean it has nothing to do with trans exclusionary it has nothing to do with that area of topic it's purely that i think i'm a i'm a radicalized feminist all because of the stupid bathtub thing the two different bathtubs or you know radicalized was there such a thing as radical barbie core i'm gonna just go downstairs and our nearly ready kitchen that is not neon pink i'm just gonna go down and paint it neon pink just to spite the patriarchy no i mean i, I don't know i just i i do find this quite fascinating But I I don't know if anybody else does, but I do. Perhaps it is just objectively the most interesting thing in the world and the most important news story of our times. And you know what it definitely is? I do, but tell me. It's feminine chaos. That it is. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Join us on, on Substack because that is where you can get so many different things. If you subscribe on Substack. Femchaospod.substack.com. Yes. So we have we have open threads every two weeks. We have extra episodes for subscribers. We have early access 
for paid subscribers. And if you pay the $20 a month, um, that is the, then you are a, what? Oh, a patron saint it? of chaos. Pa- thank you. Thank you. I was about to say super subscriber. That doesn't make any sense. Um, then you're a patron saint of chaos and you can, if you wish, have your name uh, spoken aloud uh, on pod. Yes, if you want it. And I'm looking, I'm noticing on our website that our logo is kind of Barbie pink. It, it is. I noticed that too. Um, we were doing that before it was cool. So yeah, our, our most recent premium episodes have included a discussion of the Jonah Hill scandal, um, something about public nudity, which was, of course, a lot of fun, and drugs. Yeah. So just light topics, um, family friendly. Uh, Yeah. So please do join us. And thank you for listening. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye.